Hello, this is Historically Thinking's Commonplace Book for the week of September 9th, 2018, A Cheerful Journey to Past Disasters. In fact, it's a week of victory and defeat, disaster and promise. On September 9th, 1675, New England colonies declared war on the Wampanoag Indians, beginning what they called King Philip's War, after the leader of the Wampanoag tribe, the very same tribe that the Pilgrims had invited to the first Thanksgiving. It remains the bloodiest war per capita in American history. And on September 9, 1739, a revolt of enslaved people began in Stono, South Carolina. They rose up against their owners, killed some of them, and set out en masse for the refuge of the Spanish colony of Florida. It may be that several of them were themselves Roman Catholics from modern Angola. They didn't make it, but their rebellion inspired others and left a perpetual dread in the mind of southern slave masters. On September 11, 1777, the Battle of Brandywine fought along a deep creek in the rolling countryside southwest of Philadelphia, the single largest battle of the American Revolution, and a crushing American defeat from which George Washington was very fortunate to escape with his army still in one piece. And on September 11, 1814, the most consequential American victory of the War of 1812, perhaps the most consequential American victory you've never heard of, the Battle of Lake Champlain, where Commander Thomas McDonough of Delaware and the United States Navy, with a small fleet of homespun warships whose construction he had supervised, defeated a British squadron and ending, ended a British offensive down the western lakeshore from Canada, perhaps saving northern New York and Vermont from becoming part of our northern neighbor. And on September 12, 1918, U.S. forces launched the Sammy Hill Offensive, an attack on a German salient on the Western Front that the German High Command had essentially given up on and was in the process of abandoning when the Americans attacked. In just three days of fighting, 4,500 Americans were killed and 2,500 were wounded. September 13, 1922 is the day of the Straw Hat Riot, one of those weird happenings of the 1920s that seems like flagpole sitting or goldfish swallowing or flying alone across the Atlantic. Here's how the New York Times described it the next day. City has wild night of straw hat riots. Gangs of young hoodlums with spiked sticks terrorize whole blocks. Victims run the gauntlet. Use line car tracks and snatch. Mob of a thousand dispersed on Amsterdam Avenue. Gangs of young hoodlums ran riot in various parts of the city last night, smashing unseasonable straw hats and trampling them in the street. In some cases, mobs of hundreds of boys and young men terrorized whole blocks. Complaints poured in upon the police from men whose hats were stolen and destroyed. But as soon as the police broke up the gangs in one district, the hoodlums resumed their activities elsewhere. All going to show that flash mobs don't take Twitter or text messages. September 15th is a day of racial infamy. In 1935, the Nuremberg Laws were instituted by the Nazi Party and put into force, revoking citizenship for Jews and forbidding them from having relationships with people of non-Jewish origin. And on September 15, 1963, a Ku Klux Klan bomb killed four young African-American girls at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Deaths this week. September 13, 1996, the rapper Tupac Shakur 
died. And on September 10th, 1167, the death of a woman who should be equally legendary, the Empress Matilda. She was the daughter of Henry I, King of England, born and raised in Normandy and she was, until she was eight, where, when she was betrothed to the Holy Roman Emperor Henry V. He was 24. Sent off to Germany to learn the language, get good manners. Her and Henry's official marriage occurred in 1114 when she was 12. In 1116, she accompanied her husband to Rome, where, as she always insisted, she was crowned Empress of the Holy Roman Empire in 1117. In 1118, at the mature age of 16, when Henry went back to Germany to put down some rebellions, Matilda remained behind and ruled Italy in his place. When Henry died in 1125, Matilda was only 23 and the couple had been childless. She returned to Normandy, married again, and played one of the key roles in the growing secession crisis in England based on the contention that a woman like Matilda could not inherit a kingdom from her father. This period, the anarchy, lasted until 1151, when at last the reigning King Stephen recognized Matilda's son Henry as his adopted son and heir to the throne. Matilda had triumphed. For the rest of her life, she seems to have been the principal ruler of Normandy, presiding over the government in her son Henry II of England and Normandy, his absence. And two eminent American historians celebrate birthdays this week. Bernard Balin, born September 10, 1922, the award-winning author, the teacher of perhaps hundreds of graduate students of early American history, author of Ordeal of Thomas Hutchinson, and the masterpiece Ideological Origins of the American Revolution. And William Cronin, born September 11, 1954, author of Changes the Land and Nature's Metropolis, and perhaps one of those people most important with creating the field of environmental history in the United States. Here's the beginning of an essay by Bill Cronin, The Trouble with Wilderness, or Getting Back to the Wrong Nature. The time has come to rethink wilderness. This will seem a heretical claim to many environmentalists, since the idea of wilderness has for decades been a fundamental tenet, indeed a passion, of the environmental movement, especially in the United States. For many Americans, wilderness stands as the last remaining place where civilization, that all-too-human disease, has not fully infected the earth. It is an island in the polluted sea of urban industrial modernity, the one place we can turn for escape from our own too-muchness. Seen in this way, wilderness presents itself as the best antidote to our human selves, a refuge we must somehow recover if we hope to save the planet. As Henry David Thoreau once famously declared, and wildness is the preservation of the world. But is it? The more one knows of its peculiar history, the more one realizes that wilderness is not quite what it seems. Far from being the one place on earth that stands apart from humanity, it is quite profoundly a human creation. Indeed, the creation of very particular human cultures at very particular moments in human history. It is not a pristine sanctuary where the last remnant of an untouched, endangered, but still transcendent nature can for at least a little while longer be encountered without the contaminating taint of civilization. Instead, it is a product of that civilization, 
and could hardly be contaminated by the very stuff of which it is made. Wilderness hides its unnaturalness behind a mask that is all the more beguiling because it seems so natural. As we gaze into the mirror it holds up for us, we too easily imagine that what we behold is nature when in fact we see the reflection of our own unexamined longings and desires. That's William Cronin, The Trouble with the Wilderness, or Getting Back to the Wrong Nature, published in Environmental History, Volume 1, Issue 1, 1st January 1996. And that's the Commonplace Book for the week of September 9th, 2018, right in the corner where you are. <laughs>